For the rest of the sermon time of this, we, uh, of this morning, I just want to share a little like devotional type reflection from a passage that I actually spent a lot of my sabbatical kind of uh, meditating on and praying through and reading over and over again. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 15, please. Probably a pretty familiar section of scripture to many of us, uh, but we're going to just go ahead and, and read a big chunk and then talk a little bit about it. John 15, beginning in verse 1. This is what Jesus says to his disciples just before he goes to the cross. I am the true vine, and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay, one, lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you, keep, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made, no to, made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. We should probably just end right there, right? <laughs> like, what's left to say after Jesus said that? Um, Earlier, during, when we were having communion, Eddie, he, he beautifully shared the, the joy of the gospel with us. He reminded us again of the good news that, that Jesus, that he came in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life that we could never live, that he died on the cross in our place for our sins and then gave to us his righteousness so that we could live forever with him in the kingdom of God to come. That is the gospel. That is the good news that is fundamental and foundational to what we believe as Christians. But right here, we see that in John 15, right before Jesus is about to go to the cross, he gives us the gospel, but in kind of a different way. It doesn't include all of the detailee sort of legal functions that we read in Paul's epistles. Jesus preaches the gospel to us in this way. Here is the message that he gives. He says, the life that you have always longed for. A life of beauty and meaning and worth and purpose. The life that you were created to live from the beginning, but that has been broken by sin, 
is, is, is restored to you and found only in one place, which is friendship with Jesus. The life that God created you to enjoy will be found through authentic relationship with him. And this life is available to you and to me. And that's it. That's the whole thing. The whole of this Christian life thing really hangs on this idea of being connected in meaningful relationship with Jesus. And it's so important to us. This is like the simplest message that I will ever preach. I can guarantee you that what we are after is not about behavior and it's not about status. It's not about box checking. It's all about knowing Jesus and being known by him in friendship. And so I just want to take a few moments just to reflect on three kind of things that I see in this chapter that God really spoke to me during my sabbaticals. Does that sound okay? And then we'll move on. Then we'll be done, I should say. We'll get pizza. So here's the, here's the breakdown of the analogy that we see in John 15. He says that there is a vine and that that vine is Jesus. And that from that vine grow these branches and those branches are us. And the life of the branches can only be found from being connected to the vine. And that when these branches are connected to the vine, they naturally bear lots of good fruit. And then there's also this gardener, and that's the father. And the job of the gardener is to care for this vineyard. And he's pruning back all the wildness of some branches so that they can be more fruitful. And then he's cutting off dead branches so that the vine can really thrive. And the goal of the gardener is to help this vineyard to flourish and for the branches to bear fruit. It's, it's honestly a very simple but profound analogy. And in verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine. Which means this, that if he is the true vine, there must also be false vines that you and I could live from. There are these other ideologies or allegiances that people will attach themselves to. And the exhortation from Jesus is that we choose the right vine. You see, we live in this time right now where there is a parade of vines that people can attach themselves to. Vines to give them meaning and worth and power to get their desired outcomes in life. And many people will attach themselves to all kinds of different vines that are not Jesus. For some, it's the vine of careerism, where their salvation and their purpose and their meaning ultimately comes through their success at work. So they'll give everything that they have to their work. They'll look for significance through the next promotion or closing the next deal. And Jesus would confront and say, that vine is not going to feed you. Or you can attach yourself to the vine of, ed of education, going after that next advanced degree, looking for that next thing to maybe fulfill that longing in your heart. Or the vine of social status, living for and from likes on social media, or being in that particular mom's group, or living in this neighborhood, or going to the right events, knowing the right people, drinking the right coffee, wearing the right clothes, being in the know, being cool. The vine of fitness, the vine of financial security, the vine of a political party. There are a hundred different vines that we could list right now that all of us might be tempted to, towards from time to time. But here's the thing. In John 15, while Jesus acknowledges that there are lots of other vines that we can attach ourselves to, he's going to war with one particular vine, and that is the vine of religion. The false vine of religious adherence as the source of our salvation. 
And in the religious vine, the salvation that people are looking for, it, it comes from your ability to live up to a particular religious standard, depending on your religious of, religion of choice. It's connected to rule following or particular doctrinal positions. And you see this in every religion in the world. And we are not immune from it as Christians. Christians can find themselves thinking that they are living into the vine of Jesus, but actually living from the false vine of religious adherence. It looks like wondering whether I can attend enough Bible studies or serving in enough ministries or giving enough money or avoiding particular sins, usually some kind of sexual sin for most of us. It's easy to look to our religious practices as our source for meaning and power and salvation. And when we trust in the vine of religion, we don't end up with good fruit as the outcome of our lives. We actually tend to end up with one of two outcomes, pride or despair. Pride because we think that we're finally doing enough, we're living enough, and everything is going great, yay, I'm a good Christian. Or despair because we recognize that we are not good enough, and we can never be good enough, and what hope is there for any of us? Now, you might be thinking to yourself, right, some people totally struggle with that religious thing. But we're like in the vineyard, okay? We're not religious people. Like, look at that guy on stage. He hasn't had a haircut in God knows how long. He looks like he's barely trying. <laughs> Guys, this is me trying. <laughs> you know, like... We're not one of those like legalistic religious churches. We're not like a regular church. We're a cool church. <laughs> now, <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble because we are just as prone to this kind of religious vine as anyone else. The religious vine doesn't necessarily have to look stuffy or legalistic. It's often much more subtle than that. It's trusting in the form rather than the substance. It's the creep of trusting in your devotional time, your morning quiet time as your vine, rather than seeing it as the means to connect to Jesus who is the vine. And you measure your, your fruitfulness, your health, your well-being based on whether or not you're doing enough of the spiritual disciplines. It's church attendance as your validation, rather than gathering with the church to connect to the vine as your source. And here's why this is so personal to me and why it mattered so much during my sabbatical. You see, leading up to my sabbatical, I could, don't know how much you guys could tell, but I was getting a little crusty and a little bit burned out. And I was putting all of my hope in a sabbatical to fix it. My hope was that I was going to get just like all this alone time. I was going to climb to the top of a mountain and the clouds were going to open up. The Lord was going to speak to me from heaven. That he was going to heal every wound in my soul. That I was going to have fresh revelation and vision. That I was going to come back healthier than ever. And then like day one hits. Carly goes off to work. Lewis goes off to school. And I'm just like with my two kids making grilled cheese sandwiches and cleaning up messes and feeling so isolated and alone. And then day seven hits, the first Sunday while I'm away, and John Nichols gets up and preaches, and I'm like, they'll never need me again. He's so good. He's so good. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and, and just the, the, I started feeling this anxiety and this frustration because I was failing at sabbaticaling. I was not doing it right. I was not being with Jesus on the mountaintop. I was kind of in the trenches at home. 
And I was getting frustrated, and I was even becoming bitter towards my own children because they were getting in the way of my healing. It's gross, right? Is this safe? Okay. And so in the summer, a couple weeks into sabbatical, I was reading John 15, and the Lord gently reminded me that he didn't set a bunch of specific benchmarks for my sabbatical for me to know that I was doing it right. I wasn't failing him. I was only failing a false vine. And all that he was asking me to do was to abide with him as a friend. And it completely changed my way of resting. Suddenly, I felt like I was given permission to be fully present with my kids and with Carly in a way that I had never before. It gave me permission to worship God through making good meals and going on walks and just being out among the trees in the back half of my property. It, it freed me to just relax and enjoy the fact that no one was emailing me while I was looking at the redwood trees with my children down in, in Northern California. It gave me permission to just laugh at jokes and jump on the trampoline with my kids. And here's the thing, when I did all of those things, and yes, I had my quiet times, and yes, I read my Bible, but I felt saturated by God's presence because I broke away from the religious sabbatical vine and began to abide in Jesus instead. It's subtle, but it's profound. Do you know what vine you are living from? Jesus says that apart from him, we can do nothing. That apart from him, I couldn't even rest. In fact, he says that when we give ourselves to the wrong vine, it ends with us withering and dying. That we'll burn out. And so if you're here today and you're feeling like a withered branch, I want to invite you to ask the question, sometimes a scary question, what vine am I attaching myself to? What am I looking to for meaning and purpose and power? And so with the last couple of minutes, I want to give two closing thoughts about how we can abide in Jesus. Again, the simplest sermon I will ever give. In verse 7, Jesus says this. He says that we remain in him by remaining in his word. Now, we live in a time where we have more information and hacks available to us at our fingertips than anyone in history could have ever imagined. But even with all of the content that we can take in, even with all of the TED Talks that's going to finally get us over that hump or give us a new perspective, the question is, are we actually living with any more meaning? In Psalm 1, God, God describes the blessed person like this. He says that the blessed person is the one who meditates on God's word day and night. He describes them as a tree that is planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither and who bears fruit in season. And I'm convinced that this very simple truth is so central to us as Christians that the best way to abide in Jesus is by slowly reading and memorizing the Bible. It's not about binging. It's about marinating. It's about saturation. It's letting it, it work its way into your life through time. You see, there is an unending parade of voices in the world that are, that's wanting to tell you who you are, what your identity is, telling you what the good life is. And they're false vines. They're not necessarily fundamentally evil. They're just not the true vine. And so this is why we need the word of God to be the loudest voice in our lives, because his word tells us who we are, sons and daughters, deeply loved by the father, the truth that is above every truth that we all need to lay hold of. And so this is why we need to spend time each day in the Bible, 
to memorize a small chunk that speaks to you and then to repeat it to yourself over and over again as you're driving to work or sitting in the school pickup line. Maybe it's downloading the Lectio 365 app and just listening to the meditation each morning and evening. We abide in Jesus by slowly reading his word, praying through a psalm each day, spending a week or three repeatedly reading a chapter like Romans 8 or Romans 12, memorizing a verse each week. It's about just getting his word in us so that we can abide in him. And secondly, the second takeaway is that we abide in Jesus through prayer. Now, you might be so disappointed by the fact that I went on a sabbatical and the revelation that I came back with is, you should read your Bible and pray. <laughs> like, that's, that's what you got in, in four months away? It literally is what I got in four months away. You should read your Bible and pray. The way that we abide in Jesus as our source is by spending time with him. In verse 15, Jesus says this. He says that we are his friends. He says that we're not like hired hands. We are not servants or employees. We're his friends. You see, a servant is supposed to show up or an employee is supposed to come to the, to, to the, the office to be dispatched, given their assignment, told what to do, and then they go do their job. But a friend is somebody that you share your heart with. A friend is somebody who knows the deep, not just what's happening in your life, but the longings of what you hope for in your life. A friend is somebody that you can send a meme and they will laugh hysterically with you. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into, is friendship with him. You see, prayer is not perfunctory, a perfunctory recitation of words to God. Abiding prayer is slow conversation with God. It's sharing your thoughts and your concerns. It's wondering about the things that you're seeing just out loud with him. It's asking for help or insight throughout the day. And Jesus is inviting us into this kind of relationship, one that is defined by friendship. He's not trying to heap more demands on you with, uh, with more disciplines or obligations to prove that you are, you know, abiding in the vine adequately. Rather, he's inviting us into a reorientation of our lives that is all about friendship with him. You see, God is after your fruitfulness. He wants you to be a thriving, flourishing, fruitful branch, but not by striving harder or doing more. He wants to produce that through you in friendship. Isn't it interesting in this analogy that Jesus gives that the vine doesn't bear fruit? right? It's the branches that bear fruit. See, uh, at, at my house, we have um, this like orchard full, a lot of apple trees. And I've noticed I've never seen an apple grow off the trunk of the tree, right? The apples grow off the branches and the branches get all of their power. Their source is the trunk. And what Jesus is implying here is that he's actually not going to be the one that's bearing fruit, that his fruit is going to grow on your branch, his power is going to work through you to do something significant in the life of your children or the life of your coworkers or in your neighborhood. His power is going to course through you to deliver a message of hope to those who are lost. His power is going to work through you. His resources are going to flow through you to be able to serve the poor and care for those who are in need and on the margins. His fruit grows on other people's branches. Jesus wants to bear fruit through us. He wants his abundance to flow through us, through this humble church. 
but only as we stay connected to the vine. We can't lose sight of this most central truth. And then he says this. He says that all of this is for our joy. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Consider the outcome of this life that abides in Jesus. It says that abiding in Jesus, it roots us in our identities as sons and daughters, fully known and loved. Abiding connects us to Jesus in friendship so that we are never alone. Abiding gives us power to be fruitful and to flourish in all that we do. And abiding leads us into joy, that our joy may be complete. I don't know. I, I didn't come to church for a few months. We did this thing called brunch. Turns out most people do that. If you're wondering where, why everybody isn't in here, most of them are at brunch right now. And... And as, as fun as brunch was and looking around and, you know, seeing, seeing people enjoying their relationships and stuff, I was looking around and I was thinking, I think that these people need something more than brunch. But I don't think that what they're looking for are burned out religious people who are striving for holiness through gritted teeth. I think that the world out there, that our friends and our neighbors need the hope of a people who overflow with the love of God, who are friends with Jesus and who are brimming with joy. And I actually think that what Jesus is saying here in John 15 is the call of the church. I think that we're supposed to be overflowing with love, brimming with joy, and friends with Jesus. Don't you? And I think that that is compelling in a world that is lost without him. So I'm going to close with this. What is your vine? What is the source that you are living from? If you find yourself exhausted and weary and like you don't have enough resources to get through the next thing, Jesus is saying to you, come to me, you who are weary. I'm going to give you rest. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. And I have more joy for you than you could imagine. And here's the thing too. There is nothing that you could ever have done in your life that will disqualify you from being able to graft yourself into the vine of Jesus. He is welcoming every single one of us. Listen, he says, abide in me, but also notice what else he says. I will abide in you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, come and abide in me. I will abide in you. I will lean into you. I will pour out everything for you. I will lavish my love on you. Regardless of what you've done, of where you've come from, this is the invitation to each one of us today. The promise of salvation is a whole new life. It isn't just a ticket to heaven someday. It's a new life today, all powered by his love. Amen? Amen. Okay, we stand with me? I'm going to invite Jeff and Linda to come on up and lead us in a time of ministry. And uh, here at the Vineyard, we, we really believe that um, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is here in the room, and that he wants to do stuff. He wants to heal bodies. He wants to encourage people who are discouraged. He wants to share messages of hope for people who need to hear it. And so what we're going to do right now is we're just going to make some space to, to meet with God, see what he wants to do and what he wants to say. So let's do it, all right?